Your Twins offense is ice cold, and I swear to you, this is not a rerun. What's next? Where do they go from here? What can they change? All of this and much more on today's Locked On Twins. So sit back, buckle up, and get comfortable because Locked On Twins starts now. You are Locked On Twins. Your daily Minnesota Twins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, hey, what do you say? Thanks for making Locked On Twins your first listen every day. We are free and we're available wherever you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube. And of course, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which is your team every day. And as a reminder, as always, please feel free to be active in the comments section. We'll do our best to hang out, answer questions, ask questions, and just converse with you as we're able. Also, too, if you have questions you'd like answered on the show, we'll usually answer them in the bullpen segment. We're not going to have any questions in the bullpen segment. We're just going to vent tonight. But hit me up in the comments or on Twitter at LockedOnTwins at Brandon underscore Warren. Whatever it takes, DMs are open. Also, too, don't forget to check out the Locked On Twins breathless post-game minutes, which come right after the game, or at least as quickly as we can get to it. We'll do some pregame ones, too, if there's enough interest. But for now, we're going to focus on the posts. And tonight's post felt like a rerun. This offense, again, just absolutely dreadful. Now, before we get to that, Twins play the Padres yet again on Wednesday, 6.40 p.m. first pitch. It's going to be Seth Lugo against Pablo Lopez. Try to get this offense going, but also to try to get Pablo back on the right track after a couple of maybe not quite Pablo-like starts. You can catch every pitch of the Twins' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just make sure you search Twins. And I listened to that broadcast for a bit tonight while I was out and about, and we heard a Locked On Twins commercial. So be on the lookout for that as well. Now, oh boy, we got to talk about this game. We don't want to, but we have to. Twins fall 6-1 with the Padres score the last five runs across the last three innings. Jorge Alcala gives up a big homer late, but ultimately Twins trail 3-1, easy for me to say, after the top of the seventh inning. And at that point with this offense, a 3-1 deficit feels like a 6-1 deficit. So basically that home run seemed more or less inconsequential. Now, to be fair, the Twins stranded two runners in scoring position, which would have made this all the more crushing a defeat if it was 3-1 instead of 6-1, but just a sloppy all-around game. Twins, six hits and three errors. Again, just one run scored. The top four in the order go a combined 0. Make sure I got the the math right. 0 for 14. Nine strikeouts, five walks. So the Twins did have some guys on base. They were one for nine with runners in scoring position, stranded 10 runners. So, again, Tell me if you've heard that before. Two extra base hits. One of them was a Donovan Solano double late, late, late in the extra in the ninth inning with one out. So by that point, the Twins were down by five already. So Twins go six for 33 
in this one. I have a calculator handy because I'm not that good at math. But six for 33, the Twins hit a buck 82 in this game. You know who else is hitting a buck 82? Well, Joey Gallo's hitting a buck 89. But the rest of this offense isn't really putting up that kind of power. So imagine Joey Gallo without power, and that's what this offense looks like right now. I I don't even know where you go from here. You know, I keep hearing people say, what about Carlos Correa hitting lower in the order? And again, I get it. He's hitting a buck 85 on base 261. But then you got to arrange and rearrange deck chairs. I mean, even if you put Kirill off batting second, you're still going to have Correa batting no lower than fifth. You know, Jose Miranda, which Jose Miranda to me at this point, even though I know he drove in the only run with a double, I've seen enough for right now. It's it's time for him to go back. He's got to go to St. Paul for a little bit. Kyle Farmer isn't going to save this team, nor was he ever meant to. But at this point, it just has to be the move. I know Willie Castro is hitting a buck ninety, but positional versatility helps. The fact that he yeah, swings from both sides, so he's a little less. Uh, I mean, I I guess you can't say he's less matchup proof. He's hitting a buck ninety, but I just think the versatility works in his favor. And I just think to Miranda is. I I don't like to project what guys are thinking or feeling or mentally doing, but the results at the plate make it appear as though he's all the way in his head. And again, that double was a sight for sore eyes, but the approach just isn't there right now. And if you want a good indication of where this team is right now, offensively, look no further than the Max Kepler at bat in the ninth inning. Tim Hill can't hit the broadside of a barn. In fact, he gets pissed because someone calls timeout. And I don't know if it was the pitching coach, if it was Kepler, if it was the umpire, the catcher, who, but he actually um, mouthed or actually said, but we didn't hear him, expletives to somebody. So he was obviously frustrated. Kepler takes three pitches inside, none of which are particularly close then takes a sinker on the inside, a four-seamer right down Broadway, and then pops up on a fringy pitch to end uh, his plate appearance six pitches in. So I saw uh, someone was talking to me on Twitter about how you don't understand how that's how a plate appearance could go. But basically it comes down to this. Tim Hill was a mess at this point. He was not only pissed, but not throwing strikes. And so in the ninth inning, a very common thing to do is take a strike. I mean, it's probably more common on the circuits of baseball that most of us played at, you know, Legion baseball, low level college, that sort of thing. But it's not uncommon when a guy is this well to take a strike. It's also not that uncommon when it's 3-0 to make him show he can throw back to back strikes. So that four, that fifth pitch becomes a pivot point in that it's right down Broadway. It's 90 miles per hour. So it would seem inherently something that Max Kepler should have blasted. But again, you've got a guy who is not throwing strikes. Walked Ryan Jeffers a couple batters before on five pitches. He went behind 1-0 and gave up that booming double to Solano. Joey Gallo swung at the first pitch, which again, at that point, 
with a five-run deficit, I don't know how much taking a pitch matters. But situationally, Kepler, where he was with the ability to get on base and have the tying run in the on-deck circle, Josh Hader's warming up. It just – it. I think the strategy was there with Kepler's plate appearance. It just – it went the way that everything is going right now. Swing it, pitches out of the zone. You know, you got guys chasing fastballs at their eyes. Byron Buxton did it. Carlos Correa did it. It just – it's just where they're at right now. It's a funk. And you have to hit your way out of these things, but at the same time, you're hesitant to take swings because everything you're hitting is creating bad vibes and bad results. If you're Korea and you're pasting the ball and it's creating bad results, that's one thing. But when you're taking pitches down the middle and then hitting pitches that are fringy, you know, you question your pitch recognition, like you question everything. And and that's why it's so hard to get out of a slump because you just, you start questioning, you start not trusting your hands. You start not trusting your instincts. You start not trusting pretty much anything you can do as a hitter and to have everybody going through it at the same time, again, not to the same extent, but at the same time, certainly not a great deal. Let's talk about FanDuel. You want you want to have some joy with sports right now. Maybe you can win some money with FanDuel. You can bet on pretty much anything you want. If you're a new customer, you get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And so if you're like me, you know, baseball stuff everywhere, there's all kinds of different options to play baseball. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, it's daily fantasy for the lack of a better way to put it, but it gives you, uh, you know, some different options for different things to bet on that maybe are more in your comfortability, uh, in your area of comfortability and that sort of thing. Uh, They got great promotions all the time. It's a very secure and safe app and you get paid right away. So There's no better place to bet all the playoff action for the NBA to NBA absolutely going off right now. I can't believe the Lakers have made it as far as they have. I I didn't see it coming. And right now, Devin Booker is absolutely incredible for the Suns. So lots of fun stuff you can bet on regardless of what your flavor is. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus play if your first bet does not win that's fanduel.com slash locked on and fanduel is the official sports betting partner of the nba so i noticed something in tonight's game and i actually saw some other people talking about it but it was suspiciously let's just say this carlos correa got booed late in the game for striking out And the boo lasted like a second, maybe two. And then suddenly the the music from Bally Sports North just comes in blaring. It was like they're drowning it out. And it felt very, very intentional. And, I mean, I I don't even know what the point is. I mean, the fans there who are doing the booing aren't going to hear it anyway. So Carlos Correa is still going to hear the booing. The effect is still there. 
So, and also too, if we hear one or two seconds of it, it kind of is a tell that it's happening, right? I mean, I don't know. It, it just, it's really tough to see the team going this this way right now. Also two Cleveland wins 2-0. Really, really strong pitching appearance from Shane Bieber, nine strikeouts and six innings. Cleveland and Detroit right now jockeying for second place. Guardians are two games back. Detroit two and a half. Chicago still seven back, but they're possibly going to beat KC this evening. So that'll give them some forward momentum as well. So things aren't looking real great for your twins right now. They're not, they're not looking all that great. I thought though, like I thought tonight the twins did a really nice job with some of the bigger hitters in the Padres lineup. Now, Fernando Tatis goes 0 for 5. That's obviously a big deal. Also, too, I don't know why Juan Soto, I mean, I know this isn't locked on Padres, but I don't know why Juan Soto isn't hitting leadoff on this team. I mean, the guy is going to have a 400 on base percentage just by getting out of bed every day. So I don't really understand that from uh, from Bob Melvin, but, you know, not my job, not my prob. Um, and for for all intents and purposes, they actually handled Manny Machado pretty well until that final plate appearance when Jorge Alcala, or Alcala, hung a breaking ball that um, <laughs> it Joey Gallo didn't even budge in left field, just stood still, watched it leave. And it was just kind of a foregone conclusion by everybody in the ballpark that that was it. And again, too, it was three, one at that time twins. I don't think you could find a single soul in the twin cities. Who's been watching this twins team lately that felt like they were going to come back and win this one. And I hate to say that because in the ninth inning, they did have two runners on and in theory would have had the tying run on second base had that home run not happened. Again, we're talking hypotheticals here. It's not like we're really trying to say, oh, yeah, that homer shouldn't have happened and almost didn't happen. It happened. We don't have to treat it any other way than that. I'm just saying where the Twins are right now offensively, you just you have no confidence. Like that one run. You're like, well, there's your one run. Good luck, Louie. And Louie Varland, who was phenomenal tonight, uh, we'll talk about him in the third segment. He, he was great, but he was down one nothing, and pitched behind the eight ball the rest of the way. He was never in position with a lead. Griffin Jacks again. And, and Griffin's not having a bad season, but... Couldn't throw enough strikes. Walks a couple guys. Defense doesn't execute. Then you have that strange play where Vasquez throws down to third and hits the runner in the back of the helmet. I, I believe it was Ted. Well, no, it wouldn't have been Tatis. I, I don't know why I'm trying. I'm struggling to remember. I'm going to pull up the box score because I'm not remembering it for sure. No, it was Tatis. Okay, yeah. No, I don't know. Um, Tatis grounded into a fielder's choice, so he was on base. Stole second, got to third on an error, and then another error by Vasquez. So back-to-back errors. Um, Looked to me like the throw hit him on the back of the helmet, and he basically was able to walk home. And so in the span of just a few pitches, it went from a 1-1 game to a 3-1 game. And fortunately, Manny Machado pops out. Emilio Pagan comes in and does... What is suddenly now Emilio Pagan things? 
I, I don't understand where this came from either, but Emilio Pagan is, <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to leapfrog Griffin Jackson, this bullpen hierarchy, but all of a sudden his ERA is 4-3-0 and he's making guys swing and miss. You know, he did give up a double, but I think last year that probably leaves the park just based on sheer luck alone. So I don't know if Griffin Jackson, you got to back off him a little bit or what, because he's been so steady, but, and I don't, I don't like win loss records for pitchers, but anytime your late inning reliever has four of your 17 losses this early in the season, probably not a good sign. So, you know, I don't know. Do you give those innings to Brock Stewart? Probably not. He's, if walks are an issue for Jacks, they're a bigger issue for Stewart. He's walking almost a guy per inning. Pagan is one homer away from being a mess again. You know, if he faces the Padres in a big spot, they have plenty of guys who could take him deep. You know, face the Cubs who are scuffling a bit, but they got guys who can take him deep. So I don't really know what the answer is. I think the pitching staff did a fairly decent job, but again, the walks killed them. Five of them. It. Both teams walked five. Both teams struck out nine. But the homer ball to Al- Alcala, to Machado, absolutely killed him late. Just too many mistakes, though. I mean, I'm, I've been okay with Vasquez behind the plate. I haven't had issues with him. I think he's done a great job. So, again, too, to see a lot of people saying they were sick of him was like, eh, we don't have to do that either. Am I concerned that he's slugging 263? That's a bigger issue for me. But defensively, I, and and what he's done to stabilize or help stabilize his pitching staff between him and Ryan Jeffers, I think is commendable. Also, too, I think Jeffers needs to start playing more because he's sitting 273, slugging 455 and a 373 on, on base. So nice little 800-plus OPS. And I don't think there's much of a drop-off when he goes back there defensively, if at all. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But again, too, I lean on the fact that Rocco pinch hits for Vasquez and Taylor late. And I know it was against a righty. So Gordon, probably a better matchup. But Gordon, even with that hit, he dumped a ball on the left. He's hitting a buck 55. Jeffers, excuse me, uh, Castro strikes out looking on a pitch that I think was high. But he's hitting a buck 90. So on back-to-back pinch hitters, the Twins use back-to-back pinch hitters, which is, I think, probably fairly rare. They're both hitting under 200, and by, in in the case of Gordon, by a fair margin. Again, he's been better late. We keep saying that. Um, But if there's no better indication of where this team is right now, it is that the Twins are pinch hitting back-to-back guys with sub-200 batting averages. So let's talk about some positives, because I know a lot of people wanted me to rip on the Twins today, and Getting one run and three hits off Michael Waka, not a great sign. And the Twins have done this with pitchers of this caliber all season long. Waka didn't throw a lot of strikes. He's not overpowering. There's a reason why he was available in free agency as long as he was. He had a nice year for the Red Sox last year. But nobody views him as anything more than kind of a chain mover at the bottom of a rotation. The fact that the Padres were interested, the Padres are a good team, and all that, you know, it kind of tracks. But at the end of the day, he should not be shutting down a team like he did tonight. And it's just, it's it's one in a sequence of others. 
you know, it's one thing when when Garrett Cole shuts you down. It's another thing when it's a guy who's kicked around in the league for a while and is kind of a year-to-year guy at this point in his career. Again, not a bad pitcher, and it wouldn't be inexcusable for this to happen every now and then, but it's it's a recurring theme. Even after tonight's outing, six innings of one run ball, his ERA is still almost five. 54 strikes and 91 pitches. That's, that's not enough. And the three walks show that, but it just, even when the Twins get up 2-0 and counts, it feels like they're right back into 2-2 and then swinging at something crazy. Or the count just starts 0-2. That's kind of where I'm at with Jose Miranda right now. I feel like every count he's in starts 0-2. And that's why I just, I think he's got to go down. But I said I'd be positive, at least for a little bit here as we come down the home stretch. Louis Varland was very, very, very good. Didn't give up any homers. We talked about that too. If he could limit the homers, he's exciting. Mentioned that on Monday's show where without homers, the stuff pops. He was using a cutter that was moving pretty good. I think I saw one of those pop like a 93. So 93 with movement, that's good. But he also was sitting, touching, whatever you want to call it, I guess, uh, early 97 pretty regularly. There was a 98. And then I did see at least one 99. I think it was 98.5 on Savant until they rounded up. But we talked about this yesterday. He was already up two miles per hour, almost two miles per hour from last year. If he continues to ascend like this, you know, I don't, I don't know that we're going to think that much about him being the replacement for Tyler Malley or Kent Maeda, however you look at it. It's it's him and Elber as a tag team. But to me, if Varlin can be anything like this on a regular basis, and again, this is a strong Padres offense. You know, certainly Manny Machado, you know, 720 OPS or whatever it is right now, that's not indicative of the talent level. They haven't had Tatis all season. He came back just recently from his suspension. Juan Soto hasn't been Juan Soto to this point, but on base creeping up there now at 400. He did a phenomenal job against an offense that is going to challenge the Dodgers all season long. So hats off to Louis Varland. He absolutely fantastic job. The Twins need to find a way to keep him around, even if guys get healthy. Now, again, we're not going to see Tyler Malley for a couple months. So it's not as though we're worried about Louis Varland, you know, hopping on the train back to St. Paul. And I don't know that Kent is going to be in any sort of hurry to come back either. So uh, I just, I, I have to take my hat off to Louis Varland. He was absolutely fantastic tonight. Matched Waka inning for inning and really, you know, didn't seem to give up too much hard contact. Worked out of jams, worked worked in and out of jams. Didn't have that many. Scattered five hits, six strikeouts. Just basically did everything you want a starter to do. And, and granted, you know, he's not a big name. But if you brought in a free agent to do something like this, you would be pleased. Now to get it from one of your homegrown pitchers, all the better. Icing on the on the cupcake. Frosting on the cupcake. Whatever. I I'm not thinking about cake right now. Also, to Emilio Pagan deserves a little bit of love because he, I want to pull up his season numbers because they're not as bad as I think people would, would think. 
still hasn't given up a home run this season. And that, that to me, that absolutely floors me. So he gave up six earned runs on eight hits in an inning and two third back on 420. Other than that, he's thrown 13 innings. He's given up one earned run, striking out a batter per inning, not walking anybody. But again, you always wonder like when will the next when will the shoe drop? 430 ERA, 205 FIP, 432 XFIP. So basically there's some good indicators here. 291 expected ERA. But the strand rate is extremely low. The BABIP is high. And some of these things don't stabilize in 13 innings anyway. So again, not to say he's on pace or on any sort of trajectory to be who he's been to this point. But I think you have to be pleasantly surprised. And if the Twins had given this guy away, and he was doing this for the Rays right now, people would be pretty ticked. Now again... People look at the surface level stuff, 473 ERA. Same thing with Danny Coulomb, low ERA. The, the peripherals are actually good, but the thing people get ticked off about is ERA. So maybe it wouldn't be quite there with Pagan yet. But again, that just goes to show how hard relief pitching is as an entire entity to predict, project, cultivate, maintain, any of those adjectives that you want to use. It's, it's hard to... Um, project out what relievers are going to be good and what ones aren't. And to this point, Pagan, who's historically bad when it comes to giving up homers, hasn't given up a single one yet. And he's pitched pretty much clean baseball for 13 of the 14 and two third innings he's pitched this season. So I'm not trying to, to gas it up for him. I just think, you know, there's going to come a time where he's probably going to be forced back into another situation that we would have thought unthinkable to start the season all in all though pretty hard to be enthused about this twins team right now i know they're still over 500 they're 19 and 17 still leading the division by a couple games cubs are coming to town they're scuffling a bit i don't think they were quite as good as maybe they looked but i think you could probably say that about the twins too to start the season but two more against the padres got pablo going Tomorrow against Seth Lugo, another guy who's having a pretty decent season. Kind of one of those guys that got turned back into a starter and has, has really seen an uptick. Anytime this Padres team is interested in somebody, it's usually for a good reason. Then the Twins will get Darvish in the final game. We'll have we'll have coverage of tomorrow's game afterward as well. We'll get a feel for if you guys like these late night shows. But um, for now... Twins fall 6-1, Carlos Correa 0 for 5, Buxton 0 for 3, Kepler 0 for 4. Too many overs. Six hits, and it was all single hits by six different guys. Two of those guys not even in the starting lineup. Just another absolutely dreadful, dreadful offensive performance. And we're just doing our best to hold people accountable here. Okay, pun intended, joke intended. Otherwise, though, that's a wrap. Thanks for making Locked On Twins your first listen every day. If you're an everydayer, make sure to check back tomorrow. And hopefully we'll be recapping a win over the Padres, setting up a rubber game in Game 3 of the series on Thursday. The Twins play on Wednesday, though, first. got to get through Wednesday first. Twins-Padres, 6.40 p.m., just like tonight. 
Seth Lugo against Pablo Lopez. We'll see what Pablo has against a team he has certainly faced before as an NL pitcher up to this point. You can catch every pitch of the Twins hometown broadcast with SiriusXM. On the SXM app, search Twins and find the channel. We'll see if Kyle Farmer comes back tomorrow too. Um, I'm not saying that's going to fix the lineup, but getting somebody else in there is going to be at least a change of pace. Also too, I think Jose Miranda goes down. I've emphasized that. I think that's the right move, but willing to be wrong. And I've been wrong before and I will again. So with that said, this is a wrap. Thanks for hanging out. Make sure you check out at Locked on Twins on Twitter at Bren underscore Warren on Twitter. Subscribe, like, give us a five-star review wherever you're listening or watching. Hang out in the comment section. And if you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't like the show, please tell me because I want to make this the best version of this program. This is Brandon Warren signing off, though, and saying thank you for hanging out. And don't forget to stop by tomorrow.